but let's take some time and study God's Word and just be inspired and encouraged this morning. The shepherds didn't stop talking about it after the event was over. They kept on talking about it. So we're going to keep studying and see what the Lord has to tell us. I want to talk very practically this morning. We're back in our text again in Luke chapter 2. I want to talk very practically, very simply about the response of the shepherds once they got the news from the angel and saw Jesus in the manger. What happened next? Now, we've dissected this passage pretty thoroughly over the last four weeks, and we've uh, figuratively placed ourselves in the scene of what was going on. Um, So we don't really have to develop all the background again, but I think it's fascinating. The shepherds very much fascinate me because um, their names aren't given, um, and they are given a great responsibility of leaving their responsibility and coming to see this baby. And when they do that, um, they are the first eyewitnesses, other than Mary and Joseph, obviously, they're the first eyewitnesses to the incarnation, and they're also the first witnesses of the gospel. And we think about the apostles in Acts 2, and we've been studying through Acts, we think about Paul's missionary journeys. But the shepherds, unexpected source, were the first ones to witness about the gospel. So I've wondered over the years and wondered this uh, season, what motivated them? What caused them to do the actions that they did? And what can we learn from it? Because the Lord has some special uh, principles, some spiritual principles here in this text, even in just the narrative about what the shepherds did and what they heard. there, there There are spiritual principles here that we need to learn from. And very briefly this morning, and I will deal with each of these in just a couple minutes, very briefly, I want to look at five or six different principles here that, that will be a spiritual impetus to us, I believe, as we come to the end of another year. Can you believe it? It's the end of another year. 2012, it's like from a science fiction movie. I remember 2000, it was like, ah, it's 2000. It's 2012. Does that seem odd to anybody else beside me, or am I just an old man now? It's scary, 2012. So we're coming to the end of another year. We're going to start a new year. And, and we know that the changing of the page on the calendar doesn't have any literal meaning, right? I mean, that, that's just numbers on a page. But there's something psychological about it that as we come to the end of a year and we come to the end of the Christmas season, that, that our hearts and minds kind of need to be reset and refocused. And, and we need to get reminded of our calling for this coming year. So today and next week, we're going to kind of do that from Scripture. We're going to reset our focus on what we need to be thinking about. And the shepherds this morning will help us. So write down a couple things this morning. Let's let the Spirit speak to us. We got a little bit of time here. Let's look at a couple principles. Let's start in verse 14 of Luke 2. Actually, let's start in verse 15. Excuse me. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven... The shepherds began saying to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry. They found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about the child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things pondering them in her heart. Then it comes back to the shepherds in verse 20. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, 
just has been told to them. Now, once the angels go back into heaven, the shepherds are faced with a choice. Either they can ignore what they just saw, and they can blame it on some bad falafel, and they can make a pact among themselves never to talk about this again. What happens in the shepherd's field stays in the shepherd's fields, right? It's just, just, guys, that was weird. Let's just stay here and watch the sheep. Or they can go and find out if what they heard is true. Now, that doesn't seem like much of a choice to us here in 2011, but we can't just assume that it was a given that they would go to Bethlehem. In fact, if you look back at verse 15, or 14, 15, sorry, it says that they had a discussion. In other words, it wasn't just they started running as soon as the angels disappeared. They sat and said, what should we do? And they agreed among themselves, let's go and find out what is going on. Now that conversation that we just see a glimpse of reminds us that there are really only two possible reactions to the gospel. Either you run toward it or you run away from it. There's, there's uh, every single one of us, every single person that's out there this morning is running in one direction or the other. Now there's a lot of, of middle ground, there's a lot of soft middle ground where people are just kind of in a casual saunter in one direction or they're kind of in a soft jog toward the Lord or away from the Lord. But there's not much conviction there. There are those of us that are passionate about the Lord. I hope that's everybody in this room this morning. We're passionate about the Lord. We love the Lord. We love the Word. We love the Gospel. We want people to be saved. We know about it. We're, we're, in, a, we're in a fast run toward the Gospel. Then there are people on the other extreme that hate the Gospel and hate Jesus Christ and hate all of it and don't even want to talk about Christmas because they're so vilely opposed to God. That's, that's the people run the other direction. Most of the world lives in the soft middle. Wandering kind of this way, eh, maybe, yeah, I don't know, I feel like sinning. I kind of run toward this, it looks pretty good right now, i got some crisis in my life. But they go, no, I don't know, I'm kind of done with that. So, so everybody's running in one direction or the other. And most people are caught in spiritual indifference, where their heart and mind just isn't very enthusiastic. The problem with that is, once you know the gospel, you can't be indifferent. Once you know Jesus Christ, once you understand what God has done, anything short of a deep love for the Lord and a passion for His Word is really a form of rejection and refusal, whether it's obvious or not. But everything you and I are going to do and say today, everything we'll do and say tomorrow, everything we'll do and say in 2012, is some kind of directional response to the Gospel. Whether it's passionate and demonstrative, are kind of soft and cynical. Everything has to do with our view of Christ. Now, go back to verse 15, because the shepherds, in, in light of the news that they get, decide that they're going to go to Bethlehem because their hearts have been stirred. And I want you to notice what they say. Their intent is very certain. They say, let's go straight to Bethlehem. In other words, they recognize that it would be easy to be sidetracked, or that if it takes a long time to find that one baby in the manger, that, that maybe they'll lose a little interest. And maybe they'll say, you know, guys, this is kind of a wild goose chase. We've got to get back to the sheep. Maybe we ought to just bail. So they recognize we better keep focused. We better have an intense 
concentration on finding this Savior. Now, this is principle number one. Again, I want to encourage you to write some things down just to, to ruminate on them around the week. Principle number one is we should not get distracted as we seek the Lord. As you seek the Lord, as you spend time studying, as you spend time praying, as you spend time living for the Lord, don't get distracted because it's easy as we get distracted to let our hearts drift. The shepherds were resolute because they knew that this message was from the Lord. And when you hear from the Lord, you want to get close to the Lord. You ever spend time in prayer and you just know that the Holy Spirit's speaking to you and you get excited and you just go to a deeper level and you start to go beyond the simple phrases that we use and beyond the simple requests we use and you just start to spend quality time with the Lord. You just want to not break from that. And the phone rings, you're like, no, I don't want to talk on the phone to anybody. I'm talking to the Lord. Or you get into the Word of God, then you find truths and you start to take it apart. And we're going to do this in the coming year. We're going to try to offer this Bible study methods class so you can learn, if you don't know already, how to take the Word apart. I'm telling you, when you get into the Word and you start to study it, you start to cross-reference and look up words, you lose hours and you go, this is great. Why, why would I do something other than this? Because when the Lord speaks to you, you just want to stay there. Now, the text gives us no background on these guys. You know how little we know about the first evangelists? We know nothing about their names. We don't know their background. We don't know their religious ideology. That's easy for me to say. I talk for a living, right? Ideology. There, I got it out. We know nothing about their training, nothing about their spiritual background, nothing about how they were living. We don't know about their receptivity to spiritual things. But we do know that when they hear the Word of God, they immediately trust it. When they hear the Word of God, they want to be in His presence. And what a powerful principle that is for you and me this morning. Imagine if we had that kind of consistent response to the Word of God in our lives. Any time we study Scripture, and I hope this is already true, but let me just say it anyway, that any time we study Scripture, we instantly believe it. Anytime we study Scripture, we instantly want to draw near to the Lord. Anytime we're spending time in prayer, that when God speaks to us, and I'm not being mystical this morning, I'm just saying there are times when the Lord impresses your heart as you're praying. Anytime He speaks to us, that we just say, Lord, I want to be near You. And if You lead me, I will follow. And if You direct me, I will trust You. And if You give me a trial, I will be patient and I will endure because I am persuaded that you are my Savior, and that you're finishing the work that you started in my life, and I'm going to trust you with it absolutely completely. There's always a benefit from being in God's presence. And the shepherds want to run to God's presence. Second, would you see that where the Lord is, we should want to go near and be quiet. And we've speculated a lot about the shepherds. How did they approach? Were they loud as they ran through the streets of Bethlehem at night? Did they cheer when they finally found him? Last night we talked about them kind of trembling as they came close. It's interesting, though, when you look at verse 16, that there is no indication from the Holy Spirit that they talked when they got there. Now, clearly they understood who they were seeing. Clearly they understood what was happening. But the angel had eliminated all question about who this was. This was the Son of God. This was the Savior. And they knew that the Lord had chosen to give them that information and chosen them to go see the Lord. But they still had to choose to go near His presence. 
Don't miss that. The Holy Spirit doesn't pick them up out of the field and transport them to the manger. They still have to make the walk. They still have to do the search. They still have to find where that child is. Now you say, well, of course, Paul, when God speaks to me and God leads me, of course I'm going to go near to that. Well, how many times this past year has God impressed on your heart and on my heart that we need to spend time in the presence of the Lord in prayer? And we find every excuse in the book not to. I, I will confess that this morning. Paul, spend time in my word. I'm so busy, Lord. I've got, I've got ministry to do. Well, how are you going to do ministry without spending time in my word? Oh, I'll get to it. Lord, Paul, you need to, you need to spend time in prayer. Come, come into my presence. You're too busy. You need, to, you need to do what Christ did. You need to go off by yourself and spend time. With me. Well, Lord, I, I will get to that. I promise you. I, I, that, that is a great idea, Lord. Does anybody else know what I'm talking about here? So we can't just assume that because God leads us, we always are responsive to that. We're always going to follow that. And yet, when God is in a place, we want to be there and we want to go there. Or how many times when we go to prayer, we, we come in with our list of demands. We mislabel them as prayer requests, right? Sometimes our prayer requests aren't really prayer requests. They're kind of the demands. Lord, I need this and I need it now. And there's little humility and little dependence. And we're not studying the word and preparing our heart. But, but we want to listen to the Lord. And we want, why won't God speak to me? Many of you are reading Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire right now, and your heart's getting motivated about the priority of prayer and the need for prayer meeting. And we're going to do that in 2012. We're going to give you more opportunity to, to be in God's presence in a unique way. But I want you to remember, as we go into the new year, this second principle, that we need to draw near to Him and we need to be quiet. If there's anything that impresses you this morning about the shepherds, it's that when God called them to come near, they immediately obeyed. And that wasn't without personal cost. This was not easy for them. There was a risk. There's always a risk when you trust the Lord, right? There's always an element of, of a little bit of danger to you personally in having to trust in a God you can't see that promises to save you and promises to guide you, but, but you can't hold Him. It's not like you can, you can hold God like this and say, well, I know that's certain because it's in my hand. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Everything you do in terms of your trust in God is unseen. Is there a Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Can you touch Him? Nope. But He's there. So everything about this is by faith. And when we trust the Lord, it requires an element of risk and sacrifice. And this is the third principle this morning. Seeking the Lord often requires sacrifice. As we expose what is important to us to the greater priority of being with Him, it's not a small thing that the shepherds just walk away from their very significant responsibility of watching the sheep. Their job is to defend the sheep. Their job is to take care of the sheep. Their job is to feed the sheep. And their job is to lay down their life for the sheep. Sound like anybody you know? Their job was all about the sheep. Now, it's going to be pretty tough to protect them and defend them and feed them if they run away and don't make any provision for the sheep. 
But there's absolutely nothing in the text that said they sat down for an hour and figured out a plan of how they would watch the sheep before they went into Bethlehem. It says as soon as the angel left, they said, we need to go straight to Bethlehem, and they went. Well, I'm asking, what happened to the sheep? I, 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 you know, we've got the crash, right? And all the sheep are laying there like this and so beautifully, but I think they had more than two sheep. Anybody got a hundred sheep in their manger scene? I mean, this was not a herd of sheep coming to the manger. Maybe one or two? I don't know. There's no evidence of that. They had to leave somebody. And here's the problem. Sheep are really dumb. So the sheep aren't going to say, hey, you shepherds, go on. God bless. Go find the baby. We'll stay right here. We'll hang out. We'll stay in a tight little group. And we'll make sure that no wolves come. We'll, we'll set a lookout. Charlie over here will be a lookout. And, and we'll watch for wolves. You guys go take care of business and come back. Does anybody think the sheep are thinking that? Sheep don't think very well. They're like, ah, there's no shepherd. Ah. They're wandering off in the wilderness. They're getting lost. Sheep are dumb. So there was a calculated... You liked the sheep, didn't you? That was good. There's a calculated decision here. If we go, we've got to leave our responsibility. Now, I don't know if these guys were hired or whether they were their sheep, but it doesn't matter. Because going toward the presence of God meant that they had to leave something behind. And it meant that there was the potential of having their character and their reputation questioned. Listen, some of you are going to go to lunch after this service and you're going to walk into an environment where you have relatives or friends who don't believe in Christ and don't think you should believe in Christ and they're going to give you a hard time about it and they're going to think you're crazy. You went to church this morning? Really? It's Christmas Day. Well, yeah, that would make sense. Christmas Day church, but okay, that's all right. There are people in our congregation today that had to travel to another state and they're going in an environment where it's hostile toward them. And we have to make a decision in our heart What do I really believe? And if I'm going to follow the Lord, am I willing to make the sacrifice that's required that that will come for me? For others, it's a decision about how we spend the priority of our time and what combination of hobbies and social media and technology and, and selfish choices we're going to sacrifice in the new year to spend more time in the Lord, with the Lord. I have felt that personally over the last few months. It has been so crazy and so busy and ministry has been so involved and I'm not complaining, that's a good thing. But, but I've even felt that the displacement of time in the presence of the Lord. Now I'm not saying we have to shirk our responsibilities. You have family, you have work, you have your home, you have church, everything else. But I think we have far more discretionary time than we want to admit. We have to make sure we use that time wisely and put a priority on being with the Lord. And what's the effect of that? Look back at verse 17. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. Once they see Jesus, once they know that the message from heaven is the truth, they go out and talk about it. Because the fourth principle is the good news has to be shared. The good news has to be shared. Now, I don't know if you've noticed that the credit card, uh, the credit card industry, (laughs) well, that was a misnomer. The, The Christmas card industry has taken a hit, hasn't it? The technology, people now sending 
Christmas cards by email. I opened one late last night for a friend of mine in New Jersey, and, and it was an e-card, and it was pictures of all the places they had been, the music. It was very nicely done. I thought, this is my credit card. Uh, this is my credit card. Oh, boy. This is my Christmas card from them this year. That was wonderful. She took time to do that. And I appreciate those of you that have sent us cards. Great to get it. But but I've noticed that there's not as many this year. And I don't think I've offended too many people. It's that with email and Facebook now, and Twitter, which I refuse to get on, with email and Facebook, we don't need to catch up on the last year, do we? We already know what's going on in people's lives. I see updates from people every day. This is what's going on in my life. So, so I don't need to write a recap of the last year because people have seen it. And yet there are some people that still take the time to write a recap of the year. Now, these fall into two categories, and I've named them. Category number one of the great Christmas letter is the good-to-hear-about-your-family letter, which is a nice summary of what's happened in our year, and we wish you a Merry Christmas, and here's what's happening in our kids' lives. That's number one. Everybody knows what number two is, right? It's the, quote, obnoxious bragging about all the places you've been and ways your kids have changed the world letter. That one speaks for itself. Everybody knows what I'm talking about, right? I saw one the other day, and I'm pretty sure that one of the kids cured leprosy while on a safari to Africa. Uh, It was something like that. And it was right after they played first chair violin at the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. But the kid was knocking me out. I'm like, really? Really? you sure your kid's not in the corner, you know, scratching their face? Oh, Johnny went off and he went to Africa and he shot an elephant. And it was just, I I just, I'm glad people are having fun that I'm not. And I'm really happy for them. and, And I'm glad they're sharing it and God bless them. But the reason that's not really good news to me is that, I don't really want to hear about things that don't have an impact on my life, nor do you. We want to catch up on people, but, but the, the, the big, long, obnoxious bragging about all the places you've been letter is so different because it's self-focused, right? It's not about sharing Christmas. It's about here's what I've done. And then you look at verses 17 and 18, and you see that the shepherds aren't going around. I want you to really think about this. They're not going around saying, look what happened to us. We were the first ones to hear. And this was great because, because it was exciting. And we got to go to Bethlehem. And, and here's what we saw. And here's what we heard. And, and we want to tell you. We're the first ones. Nobody else knows this information. We're going to tell you about it. Here, look at that. What's it say in the text? They made known, look at the text, they made known the statement about the child. It wasn't, look at us. It was, here's what God has said. And as they did that, look at the next line of verse uh, 19. Uh, Excuse me, verse 18. It says that all who heard it, tell me the next word. They wondered. I'm not picking, please get me wrong, I'm not picking on Christmas letters, okay? I'm saying the shepherds didn't go and say, it's about us. 
they said, this is the statement that God made, and we saw it. We know it's true. And as they shared that, everyone who heard it, and that the Holy Spirit's not using hyperbole here, everyone who heard it, all who heard it, wondered. Their hearts were stoked toward the gospel, and they started to be drawn toward God. Listen, just because it's the 26th tomorrow and the 27th the next day in 2012 and the tree comes down, don't stop praising God for what He's done through Christ. They didn't stop. I think it's interesting that the Holy Spirit gives the break in verse 19 and says, Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. And then He comes back to the shepherds. And the shepherds went back and they were glorifying and praising God. In other words, it didn't just stop. They told their friends, they told the sheep who weren't there anymore, and, and it was over. No, they kept talking about it, glorying and buying and praising God. And this is the fifth principle, and we'll be done. The truth that is shared out of personal experience is powerful. Truth that is shared out of personal experience is powerful. Truth without personal experience is dry legalism. And personal experience that doesn't have truth is emotional subjectivism. In other words, if you share truth, but it doesn't come from your heart, it's just like this, dry legalism, and this is what God says, and this is what we're supposed to do, and you're supposed to do this, because I do this, and isn't it great? That's what the Pharisees were. They were truth without experience. And then on the other spectrum, there's the people, but, but they're not grounded. So that just becomes emotional. That just becomes subjective. Well, God spoke to me and God said this. Well, is it grounded in Scripture? No, but God spoke to me. We don't want to be on that extreme. And we don't want to be on this extreme. What we want to be is people that love the truth and have been changed by the truth and then talk about it as our experience. And that's what the shepherds do. That's what they communicate. And I want you to notice in verse 17, they don't alter or adapt the message. They just told what had been told them. That is always an important standard when you're handling the Word of God. Stay with the truth. God doesn't need our help in adapting it to fit the audience. He will work on their hearts. We just need to speak what's true. You're dealing with a relative today? You're dealing with somebody that scoffs at you for loving Jesus Christ? Just speak truth to them. Speaking truth in love, Colossians 2.15 but just speak truth. And you know what? You let the Holy Spirit deal with their hearts. Don't manipulate them. Don't adapt the message. Don't get overly emotional. Don't make them feel guilty. Don't put shame on them. Just speak truth. The shepherds went and they spoke truth. They talked about the child that had been born the Savior. They talked about the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way. He's the one who has rescued us from sin. And because He's rescued us from sin, that leads us to experience absolute victory in our lives. Remember, when you have any doubt, or when somebody engages you in a debate about the reality of Christ, you can quote them John 3.16, but you can also quote them John 3.17. God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Jesus didn't come to contend with people. He came to offer salvation and victory. Because the enemy had infiltrated creation 
and he had corrupted everything with sin, and the enemy is stupid because he believes he can still win. So God said, you know what? You infiltrate creation, I'm going to infiltrate creation. And I'm going to come down, and I'm going to live as one of them, and I'm going to purify and fulfill their law with perfect righteousness, and I'm going to offer cleansing and freedom and a breaking of bondage from sin, and I'm going to actually win. You think you're the winner, Satan? You're not. I'm the winner. I'm the one who's victorious. I'm the way to eternal victory, and I'll prove it. I'm going to come just to mock you. I'm going to come as a baby. And I'm going to embody everything that will point to the cross and the empty tomb. Because I am victorious. And his enemies tried to stop them, but the Father led him, and the Father secured salvation, and we worship him today. Back in the 13th century, a man named John Francis Wade wrote the Christmas carol, O Come All Ye Faithful. It's always been one of my favorites because it's so happy and upbeat and victorious. The second line of the song captures the attitude not only of the shepherds, but it gives us a broader picture of what Christ has come to do. It says, O come all ye faithful, what are the next three words? Joyful and triumphant. You ever thought about what that's saying? The shepherds didn't have an idea. They, they didn't know about the cross. They couldn't have seen the empty tomb when they visited the stable. But they did know that he was the Savior. And it seems very evident from verses 17, 18, and 20 that they were joyful and triumphant at the realization that Jesus had come to deal with man's hopeless spiritual condition. And this was before that happened. So if the shepherds walk away praising and glorifying God and telling everybody they know, this baby, this child, that's the Savior. It's just a baby. No, I'm telling you, God spoke to us. That is the Savior. We saw him. And everybody wondered. Now, if they could see that before it happened, you know where I'm going, right? How much more do we, who have experienced it personally, who have seen the cross and seen the empty tomb, and know that the victory is won forever, and the triumph is secure, and that we are declared children of God, and God said, nobody's taking you away from me, you're mine. You have my name, you have my spirit, you have my character, and you have my promise that you're mine forever. How much more should our joy be triumphant? And how much more should we go tell people, oh, you've got to know about him. He's not just a baby anymore. He went to the cross for you and me. And he was raised from the dead. And praise his name. He is the God of all creation. And if you are in darkness, you can live in light. And if you don't have any hope, God can give you hope. And if you can't be confident about your future, I'm telling you, you can be confident about your future through Jesus Christ. And don't take it from me. Look at Scripture. And you've known me before I was saved. Look at my life. Could I have done this on my own? This is only of God. See, the shepherds went and they saw him. They took a risk. And they went and said, we've seen him. 
We experienced it. The Savior's here. And as they glorified and praised God, people's hearts were stirred and they came to know the Lord. Isn't it amazing on this Christmas morning to know that the Savior's come? Isn't that good news? We're not here sitting in a room worshiping some idol. We're not praying to the ceiling and nothing gets through. We have the living God, Emmanuel, God with us. And God has been so gracious to us to deliver us from sin and to secure us eternal life. Now it's our job today, tomorrow, and the new year to tell people what we've seen and heard. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you this morning for the joy of knowing you. We thank you for the good news of great joy which is to all people. Lord, this morning you don't exclude anybody. Your Son came to save anyone who will believe. And you have made the evidence so obvious. You've made it so clear that you interceded into human history so that we could be redeemed from our sin. Lord, we're hopeless and we're lost, and yet with you we have full confidence that as we trust in you, you will save us forever. Lord, we praise and honor Your name this morning. We exalt You. We magnify You for the good news of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray our hearts would continue to stay stirred in the days ahead, that we would praise and glorify You like the shepherds did as they left the manger. And Lord, that the people around us, even today, Lord, as some go and, and sit with family members who don't know You or are skeptical or cynical, that even today, that their hearts would wonder at what they hear. And that their lives would be changed by the good news of the gospel. Lord, bless conversations this afternoon. Mm -hmm. Impact hearts. Change and break down the stubbornness and the stony hearts that some people will deal with today. And break through with your grace. Amen. Father, it is all about You. This season is all about You. And even as the season kind of comes to a close today, we're going to continue to make it all about You in the days ahead. Give us a magnificent new year, Father, where lives would be changed and people would be saved and the ministry would go forth and impact lives in fresh ways. Lord, we ask You that. Prepare our hearts. Prepare the path for You and we will follow. We praise You and honor You this morning. And Lord, we can't say enough that we love You. We thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.